I think we were all very surprised. Obviously, retrospection is the most exact of all sciences. Assistant Harris School professor Peter Buissere studies politics for a living. Still, after the last U.S. presidential election, he was just as taken aback by Donald Trump's victory as anyone else. Buissere has joined forces with economist Richard Van Wielden of the University of Pittsburgh. They've written a paper titled Crashing the Party, Elites, Outsiders, and Elections. And what the paper reveals has broad implications for the electorate. Welcome to another episode of Radio Harris. This time around, Professor Buissere sits down with us to explain exactly what it is about the current political climate that allows candidates like Trump to come to power. Stay with us. To understand Trump's success, Professor Buissere says you've first got to understand the basic contradiction that characterizes the current American political scene. So on the one hand, partisanship is very strong, but to coin a phrase by a political scientist called Julia Zari, the parties themselves seem organizationally weak. So we have strong partisanship, but, but weak and somewhat vulnerable political parties. And it seems slightly paradoxical that these phenomena should coexist. You might think that if voters are more willing than ever to sort of go along with the candidates that their parties produce, this would make life somewhat easier for political party leaders. But that's not true. As candidates like Donald Trump and Roy Moore have demonstrated, parties are actually quite vulnerable to take over from within, even without the support of established party elites. But why? Time to clarify our terms. What is an outsider candidate exactly? So if you think of an establishment candidate as being defined by uh, sort of having been through the party for a long time, having the support of the elite, uh, perhaps requiring it in order to circum- sort of surmount the campaign costs that are associated with modern elections. There are some candidates who can just go it on their own. So even though Bernie Sanders has been a politician for a long time, that's perfectly consistent with him being an outsider to the extent that in the Democratic primary, it was clear that the original intention of the party's leadership was that the primary would be a coronation for Hillary Clinton. Now, all else being equal, voters tend to prefer candidates with a track record who have proved their competence and ability. That means that if you want to succeed as an outsider... Your only option is to offer policies that are misaligned with party elites and that would otherwise go unrepresented, either in a primary election or in a general election. So it's, it's, the, it's the necessity of differentiating yourself ideologically and your ability to do that in spite of the fact that those policies may not be the ones that the party elites like that generates an appeal for you in spite of a perceived uh, disadvantage in terms of your record or your previous experience in government. Outsider candidates can choose to enter elections through an established party, the way Donald Trump did with the Republicans, or they can enter as a third-party candidate. So how do they decide which path to take? To figure this out, we have to look at ideological differences inside the party. Within parties, there is a latent issue cleavage, which in the spirit of the times we call globalism versus anti-globalism, but it could also reflect uh, religious or or cultural cleavages in other uh, contexts. And so uh, the role of an outsider is potentially to adopt what we would call the anti-globalist policy within the respective parties. So our model assumes that each party has a presumptive nominee that reflects the interests of their party elites, which we call the globalist position. 
And so as an outsider, your decision is, you know, do I want to adopt an anti-globalist, say, right-wing platform, either within, say, the Republican Party, or do I want to do something more akin to Ross Perot and run as a third-party candidate? And the key consideration for an outsider when making the decision about how and whether to enter is whether or not they imagine that conditional on winning the party's nomination process, during which they may be bitterly opposed by party elites, do they think that once they win, uh, party elites and globalists, for example, in the Republican Party, your Paul Ryans, your Mitch McConnells, will these guys ultimately decide that even though they disliked you relative to the Republican field, they nonetheless dislike the other party's candidate even more intensely? In Professor Buissere's model, the thing that makes an outsider candidate successful when entering a party's primary is a high degree of polarization within that party. That polarization assures outsider candidates that if they win the primary, they will be able to carry both factions of the party. That's because... If the only alternative is an even less palatable uh, choice, which is a democratic globalist, you may be willing to overlook the perceived deficiencies in character and your policy differences within the party because nothing is more important than getting your party in government. And this is the force that uh, ultimately makes primary challenges relatively appealing, high amounts of inter-party polarization. Okay, a quick aside. Isn't it possible for party elites to dislike an outsider candidate so much that they actually leave the party? Professor Buissere says probably not. Uh, it seems like a remote circumstance in, in the year 2018, at least in the United States. And I should say, in our model, the notion of uh, party loyalty is not uh, something that is, is divorced from policy. It's purely a policy preference. For example, uh, if you're a Republican, it's your belief that the conflict over the size of government is really the first order consideration and that you're willing to put that first uh, when you're choosing between whether to continue supporting the nominee that you're stuck with, uh, who nonetheless says things on this globalism, anti-globalism dimension that you don't like so much and may have character flaws, nonetheless, you're so determined to beat the other party's candidate because of ideological considerations. But to outright abandon your party's uh, nominee and go to the uh, other party's candidate seems like a very, very distant prospect. And indeed, this is precisely what the outsiders, uh, correctly it seems, are counting on. Back to this polarization question. If polarization within the party is low, an outsider candidate runs the risk of not being able to rally the factions, even after winning the primary. So in the case of low polarization, the outsider might choose to run as a third-party candidate instead. That way, the party's votes will be divided and the outsider might be able to win on a much smaller margin of victory in a three-way contest. And there's another thing. If you were deciding which party you wanted to run in, uh, which may have been a meaningful choice for a, a candidate like Donald Trump, whose ideology, shall we say, is somewhat in flux, um, if you were deciding which, which party to run for, which one would you choose? Well, you choose the party that you think uh, represents the majority in the electorate. So if you think that the Republican Party is the party of our times, then indeed that's where you'd go. And so the parties that seem electorally the most numerous uh, in strength and the most kind of united in their opposition to the party will paradoxically be the most vulnerable to the entry of outsider candidates. The natural question that pops up is why parties don't do something to protect themselves against outsider candidates. 
In the US, you know, parties are, or the, the established parties are somewhat porous. It's very difficult to stop someone from running. Uh, but we, we imagine uh, two possible kinds of parties that are out there in the world, strong parties and weak parties. And we define a strong party as a party that uh, has an elite which could, if it wanted to, keep the outsider out. So think of a system like in the UK, for example, where parties are extremely powerful and can forestall the rise and entry of these candidates through their established parties just by organizational fiat. And one thing we show is the same conditions under which the outsiders would prefer to enter political parties, i.e. extremely high inter-party issue conflict, are also the conditions under which party elites would not want to take defensive action to keep them out. And the intuition is, if I'm a party elite and I'm thinking, do I want to keep this outsider out of my party? Well, by doing so, I force them into a third party run. Now, a third party run carries a danger for me as a party elite, which is that that run may divide the factions within my own party and actually make it easier for my established party opponents, say the Democrats, to win despite not being a majority. And if I, if I, like my voters, care a lot about defeating the other party, it may be better for me simply to allow this candidate to enter, deal with these differences in the primary, rather than face uh, a third party challenge. Uh, and so, in some sense, the same conditions that encourage an outsider to pursue a primary campaign are the conditions under which uh, party elites, even if they had the power to stop it, may want to adopt a policy of benign neglect. Now, if a party is too weak to actually stop outsiders from entering a race, it can still take steps to deter them. Suppose that the uh, uh, party, the established party elite, could find someone to represent the faction in the party whose views have previously been ignored and which constituted the attractive point of entry for the outsider. Suppose I could find someone that will ramp up the anti-trade rhetoric or speak uh, about the importance of immigration control and unfair trade agreements without all the character flaws uh, that outsiders potentially bring. Would the established party elite want to hold an inclusive primary in which they allowed for competition between all the different views in the party? And uh, if they were to do it, it would make the outsider's entry unappealing for the outsider because now she knows that wherever she locates, there's always someone with experience and, and higher skills and quality there to take the same position. And of course, you know, when will elites want to do this? Well, they would only want to make this concession by allowing for an ideologically misaligned opponent to their most preferred choice when they think outsiders would be relatively likely to succeed in winning the nomination. Alternatively stated, the only time when there's even a space in the party's ideological spectrum from an outsider to enter a nomination process is when party elites thought that they wouldn't be very successful in their attempts to win the primary. Otherwise, they would have done something about it. And so outsider challenges only arise when, conditional on winning, the victory is a big surprise to everyone. So they're in some sense sort of, uh, you know, unicorns, uh, not in maybe a positive way, but um, their entry is only possible in the very circumstances when people did not expect them to be a serious threat. This model applies outside the United States as well, Professor Buissere says. Uh, in the United Kingdom, for example, the British Labour Party is going through a similar process of soul-searching uh, 
also over what you might think of as an anti-globalist versus globalist issue cleavage. In the UK, as you know, we recently voted in a referendum to uh, leave the European Union, and many voters within the Labour Party are conflicted over this issue. Some are extremely pro-EU, would have liked us to stay, would prefer for a negotiated settlement that is uh, maintaining as much as possible of the uh, single market access. Other voters uh, feel that it's sort of a corporatist conspiracy that uh, makes it harder for people in the UK to get jobs. And so uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, although he himself has been in Parliament for a while, was also sort of an outsider and was able to uh, essentially, I won't say hijack, but was able to sort of uh, come in from, from afar into the party's selection procedure and uh, ultimately win in the first round of what would have been a multi-stage contest. Um, all of these candidates have this feature that they find vulnerabilities in the policies that established candidates have long been willing to offer. They, they find positions that established parties' elites uh, either are unwilling to adopt or are afraid to adopt, and they take those policies and they often find considerable support. And one of the things our model suggests is, while that may be an effective strategy electorally, it's a necessity because if you're otherwise disadvantaged in terms of your skills and experience, merely saying the same thing as a Hillary Clinton or as a Mitt Romney is not going to get you very far. Uh, and so it's this disadvantage that we we. Uh, assume these candidates have that drives them to these policies. But then, curiously enough, uh, that ability and necessity to eke out otherwise uncovered spots within the party then becomes a source of tremendous advantage. And, you know, in the case of the United States, Donald Trump exposed significant conflicts within the rank and file of the Republican Party. But in the general election, he may also have been able to reach across the partisan divide and convince some Democrats, uh, you know, who are also worried about the effects of globalization to uh, either not show up for their own party's candidate or indeed cross party lines and support him. And so the reach of uh, uh, an outsider who wins the party's nomination process is not just to carry their own party's disparate factions, but potentially to steal or otherwise suppress the support of the other parties' uh, rank and file that may share, share similar views. So it's not only the band-aid within his own party that he takes off, they also expose conflict within the other party, and they make those issues very salient uh, in the general election campaign. One last question. What would happen if both major parties were to have outsider candidates? The net effect of having uh, outsiders potentially infiltrating each of the established parties is, if anything, it increases the attraction of going into the primary. Because suppose that I'm considering entering the uh, you know, Republican Party primary on an anti-globalist platform. Well, uh, one hope I might have had if I had stayed out and run as a third party candidate is that I could unite the factions of both uh, parties on this anti-globalism issue conflict. But if I know that there's a candidate who might win the other party's nomination process and occupy that turf, I know even more that I'm going to rely on the combined vote of the Republican factions in order to uh, succeed in the general election. And so, in fact, we show that the possibility of, of multiple outsiders only increases the value of pursuing a primary challenge versus going it alone as a third party candidate. Okay, so Donald Trump won by taking advantage of strong partisanship combined with weak political parties. But that's not all that won him the White House. 
you know, in our story, Donald Trump is successful, uh, not because voters are, you know, ill-informed or are just looking to sort of throw a bomb into the political process. They do it because they have policy views that have been uh, long left unrepresented by traditional parties. There are people out there whose views have been ignored, who are concerned about globalization, who are concerned about a, a raft of issues. And that concern uh, can be strong enough to overturn long-standing loyalties to party elites. And if you throw in what I think in the year 2018 is a healthy skepticism, perhaps more than healthy skepticism about established parties, you have a very powerful mix uh, that could result in many more of these elections. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Radio Harris, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And please check out our other podcast, Day One, which features students, alumni, and faculty using the Harris approach to make an impact in the world from their very first day at Harris and years beyond. That's it for today. This episode of Radio Harris was produced by me, Ann Ford.